Proverbs 18. This will just visit Proverbs for a second because today's the 18th. I picked verse 19. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. Okay, that's a good one. That's a good one. So you're driving and you happen to be going someplace and it's stop and go, stop and go on the freeway. And it just, it's aggravating. And, or, or when you're waiting your turn in line and you wait and you wait, wait, and somebody comes and takes cuts. Or you explain with love and for good reasons and your kids just don't listen to the things you're saying. Or, or you're somewhere in public and you hear some guy at Target across the way and he's yelling really disrespectfully at his wife. You I mean, you know, these things you see, stop and go trafficking, you get frustrated. People cut in, you get irritated, you know. Kids just don't listen, you're annoyed. And somebody yelling disrespectfully at a loved one, and you just get angry, frustrated, irritated. Annoyed, angry. You feel better? Do you? No, I know we're all feeling worse now. This is not another one of those feel-good messages. It's just, it's, it's just the subject today is anger. We get angry sometimes. And I, I think some people think that you know, it's just a part of life, that these kinds of irritations are going to happen, and, and we just get to deal with it, and deal with the, the, the anger. Some people think that it's just a part of requirement. It's, it's just a required part of life. And um, it's in the category that we've been, we talked about over the course of four weeks. And I'm coming back to a series that I didn't finish from before Easter called Required Sins. Now, you're saying required sins. You're not required to sin. And I'm saying, you know, I, I agree with that. This, there, 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 are, there are a category of sins, though, that everybody would say, that's always wrong. It's always wrong. It's always wrong murder. It's, it's, it's always wrong rape. It's always wrong to steal. I mean, but there are certain categories of sins that people in our culture would say, well, you know, you kind of you got to tell the little white lies to get by. You kind of you got to do these little things. It's just part of life. And uh, in spite of sometimes what God says... Our culture will say, hey, they're really, really not the same. They're really okay. We talked, uh, we talked a little bit about lying. We found out that just because it's commonly done doesn't make it right. We talked about gossip. And I don't know if you remember that or not, but we said just because everything that we say needs to be true. But just because something's true doesn't mean that it needs to be said. I don't know if you remember that one or not. And then um, we talked about lust and um, how God would actually help heal us from a sin where many times in the past we may have said, you know, that's just the way I am. I just got to have to struggle with this. And, and God looks at it differently. Today, um, before we jump into anger, I, <laughs> however that sounds, um, I want to open with this prayer that David prayed in the Old Testament in Psalm 139. And he prayed, and if you're comfortable, you could read this out loud with me. And um, this can, can be our prayer to start with today in, in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Let's pray. God, today um, we will talk about maybe an area that for many or maybe even most of us is an area of sin that sometimes we wander into. And so, Lord, we pray that um, your spirit will do just as you promised, that there won't be condemnation present, present, but maybe conviction and certainly encouragement by your spirit for us to grow and to become more like you. And we're going to find God in your word in places where you were actually angry, yet it wasn't sin. So help us, Lord, to differentiate. Help us, Lord, to be available to what your spirit will do in our hearts today through your word. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. 
So today we're going to take a little bit of a look at the topic of anger and see how it applies in our life. And, you know, it, it can be really, really easy to justify anger, to rationalize anger, you know, and it sounds like, that. hey, if you hadn't done, and you fill in the blank, then I wouldn't have reacted the way I did. Or, um, you know, if, if, if this didn't happen, I wouldn't have lost my temper or, you know, or this one. You know, this is just the way God made me, and this is how I deal with things, so get used to it. I mean, we say those kinds of things and rationalize. I also want us to kind of understand um, at the very beginning today that it's important that not all anger leads to sin. Not all anger leads to sin. In fact, anger itself isn't necessarily sin. It's, 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 I, would, I would say, in fact, that we can argue that there is, there is both a, a sanctified kind of anger that's not a sin, and then there's also sinful anger. And uh, so um, feeling a b- upset about something, being angry, how you feel is not the sin. It's what we do with it that can get us into trouble. It's our response and, and, and leads us to do either the right thing or the wrong thing. And Paul was talking about this to believers in Ephesians 4 when he said, in your anger, do not sin. In other words, if you feel angry, you know, but you don't have the wrong response, you haven't sinned, okay? In your anger, do not sin. He said, do, don't let the sun go down on, on you while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, that little Greek word in there that's translated uh, foothold, topos, um, you know, we have our word topography, and, and it, it means an opportunity, it means a location, and literally it means a room. So you could translate that, you know. In other words, in your anger, don't give the devil a guest room in your heart. Don't let this anger go unchecked. Don't let it go unguarded without asking God, you know, help me sort this out and get this right in my heart. There's a story, a great story about anger in the Old Testament where there were these two brothers and how anger led one of these two in an absolutely wrong direction. It's Cain and Abel. And, and these two guys both went out and prepared to make an offering before the Lord, and they did. And, and Abel made a good offering, and God received it. And Cain made one that wasn't right, and God rejected it. And um, so here's how the story goes. So now this is Genesis 4, and here's the, God speaking to Cain. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? In other words, you have a choice. What you do now can answer you to lead you to right or wrong. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. Sounds like a predator. But you must rule over it. Why are you angry? He's saying, don't give the devil a guest room in your heart, because if you, if you don't deal with your anger properly, sin is crouching at your door, and sin wants to have you. And there are a couple of destructive ways that we can maybe tend to deal with our anger. There, then I'm going to call them two categories. So the, there are the stewers and the spewers, okay? And <laughs> you probably already know which one you are, uh, but just in case, let's you know, talk about these two different categories um, that we destructively deal. First off, spewers t- will express their anger. You know, sometimes you might m- maybe rather describe it as an eruption or an explosion, but spewers express their anger. Uh, Solomon wrote about this in Proverbs 29. He said, fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. Now, I'm, I guess I would fall into the category of being a do-it-yourselfer. You know, I fix things, 
Somebody's laughing at me already. Okay, so somebody knows me better than I pretend to be. I will fix things. I mean, I'll build some things. I don't usually pay people to fix things for me. I mean, even if I don't know how to do it, I'll make a pass at it once or twice because I figure, okay, I actually do a calculation. If I completely ruin it, how much will it cost me? Okay, I'll risk that. And most times it pays off. I get things done and I don't burn up too much money. Sometimes I spend a lot more money fixing things myself than if I hired somebody to go buy me a brand new one and install it, you know? Um, but I, I will try some things. And you know, I've told you before, one of my nemesis is plumbing. It just is one of my nemesis. And, and, I, and I, I'm learning to not do plumbing, but I still occasionally slip and do it. And it always is my nemesis. I mean, and I, I think about this one time. Now, my kids and family would say, oh, this was a lot of times. Look at him sitting over there. Okay. <laughs> They're already mad at me because they know what I did. Okay. So, um, so I can think of this one time. So it was several years ago. I get this call to the kitchen and the drain's not working. The drain doesn't work. And I get there and, um, <laughs> and the, there's these, I don't know if we were cooking potatoes for 800 people or something, but there's this mound of potato peels and our garbage disposal, you know, it's meant for something. I don't know if it's meant for that, but anyway, it's plugged and not just the disposal, but something's, and so I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm angry because I know I'm going to have a mess. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And I'm starting to blame people and show my frustration and, so now pretty soon I'm down there underneath the sink trying to do the P-trap thing, right? Okay, that's the right phrase, P-trap, so you know that I know what I'm talking about. And I'm twisting things and I'm loosening things and I get it apart and nothing's coming out because the potatoes are, I mean, it's, it's and so now I'm pushing things up to get stuff undone and uh, stuff comes down on my head and uh, I'm not smart enough not to do the plumbing without putting your head under the P-trap and things are getting worse. <laughs> Okay, but it's now the, wa- the water's flowing, and so now I'm putting it back together, and I don't know what it is with plumbing and me, but, you know, get it all lined up properly, and you tighten it down, and you test it, and you fill the sink up with water, and then you pull the plug and let it all gush through, and instead of just going, it's going all over. It's not going away like it's supposed to, and no matter what I do, and I tighten it more, and it still leaks, and I tighten it more, and it still leaks, and I dry it off and test it again, and it's not at least I try it, and it snap. Now it's broken. And I don't just mean the pipes, you know, <laughs> and I'm getting mad telling the story again. Okay. So, and, and, and stuff's dribbling on my face and I'm thinking this is, didn't need to happen. And, and I'm pretty sure that something happened. And I don't really remember about the next 10 seconds or so. It's just this blur. And I think it's a red blur. It's a blur. And I don't know if my, so I don't know what happened, but um, I'm pretty sure I said some things that if I told you what I said, you'd probably go find another church and say, my pastor cannot talk like that. Um, you know? And I, I, <laughs> my family's going, yeah, yeah, he did. Huh? What? Ushers, there's some unruly women in the front row. Come and remove them, please. Okay. So, you know, I don't really know, but there's, there's this thing. So I... I, I, I I remember, I remember, you know, this happened more than once. Okay, this, I'm, this happened, happened more than once. And I remember this one time in particular I'm thinking of, and so I'm thinking, okay, get it together. Starting to work my composure, take a towel, wipe my hands off, start over, rethink, you know, attack this again and, 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 and have victory over this thing. And I'm wiping things off. I get up and I look around and there's nobody around. <laughs> They're all gone. 
And um, I'll come back to that later, I suppose. Proverbs 14.7 was written for me. It says, short-tempered people do foolish things. And there have been times that I've been a spewer. And for many of us, you know, I mean, if you were just really, really honest and you said, you know, I'm, you know, I guess I would say, how many of you would say, you know, there have been times when you've gotten angry or frustration comes or some sort of intolerance wells up in you and you've been a spewer. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's pretty common pretty to spew. I think almost everybody does it sometimes. And for us, when we spew, spew um, we, we can actually feel for just this fraction of a second. We can feel a little bit better. But everybody around us feels worse. There's this collateral damage that goes on when we spew. It doesn't fix the problem, and people get hurt. They do. And God hasn't called us to that. He's called us to be people of self-control. So there are spewers, and, um, and I don't want to leave the rest of you out who claim not to be spewers. There's this other category called stewers. And what do stewers do? They suppress their anger. They're angry, but they just push it. Push it down and tuck it down out of the way. Psalm 32, here's David, King David, and here he's talking about that. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. When I pushed my emotions down inside, the deepest part of my soul was, was literally damaged all day long. Here's the thing about you stewards. <laughs> you still have your knockdown drag out fights. They're just all right here. They are. They are. The difference is you just do it in your head. I mean, you rehearse the thing, you nurse it, and then you just, you just have this whole imaginary conversation in your head and what they did and what you said and how they came back and goes up and you have this whole blown up fight. And then when the person physically, literally walks in the room and you're like, just like that, you're like that. <laughs> I know, it's just more comfortable to sit that way, Rachel. Yes, yes. Okay, okay. And, and you're like that, and, 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 and they go, what's going on? And you, they're already mad. I mean, there's this anger thing going on. It's like, you know, they don't know that you've just had this big fight with them. <laughs> because you suppress it, and you push it down. And I'm not going to ask for hands, because you stewards know who you are. Jesus told this parable about uh, one that's really famous we call the prodigal son. And um, it's in Luke 15. And, and uh, if you read that through, you don't have to turn to it now. I'll give you a quick overview of what happened there. But there's this father who had a couple of sons. And he, um, they were basically fairly well off. They had a pretty big farming operation, ranching operation. They were, they were well off. And uh, the younger of the two sons says to his father, Hey, Dad, I'd like my inheritance now if you don't mind. Which seems rude, wouldn't you agree? But the tradition of the day allowed for that. The parents sometimes would give their inheritance before they died, or part of it. And if you think that through, that happens today too. There are times that parents say, hey, um, I'm going to start doing things now to avoid tax. And and it's not completely unheard of, a little unusual, kind of rude. And the scripture basically says the father gave it to them. If you read carefully, you'll notice, and I don't think I noticed that particular distinction until this week when I was studying this out, that the younger says, hey, I want my inheritance, but scripture says the father distributed it to them. So both of the sons got their inheritance. And the older son, who 
we'll come back to in a minute. He's the firstborn, so the tradition was he got two-thirds of the estate. And the younger son who brought this whole thing up, he got a third. And, of course, his parents had plans for him. They wanted him to, pros- to prosper in his life, and they thought you know, they had taught him and raised him well, and that he would learn from mom and dad, and so he'll go off and have his own family and be successful. And against their hopes and their wishes, and probably against their advice, he goes his own way and takes that whole inheritance, and he blows it on partying and women and alcohol and wild living. And when the money finally runs out, and then his friends run out because he doesn't have any money, he wakes up one day, and he has nothing, and he finds out, well, i got to now work for a living, and he goes, gets this job feeding pigs, which is another whole rabbit trail I won't go down except to say that he's now feeding pigs, which are an unclean animal in his culture. He's not supposed to even be eating them, which is another issue here, but we won't go there today. And he realizes the servants that worked for his dad are way better off than he is. In fact, these pigs are better off. They're getting fed, and he's hungry. And he's thinking, man, I've really blown it. And he thinks, okay, I think I'm going to go home and ask not to be reinstated as a son. I just will go home, and maybe my father will hire me as a servant because I'll be better off if I could just be a servant in my father's house. So he heads home. And scripture describes the scene. You know, his father sees him while he's a long ways off. His father's watching for him. And he runs to embrace the boy. He doesn't want to hire him. And he says, hey, bring him the best robe. He puts him in the best clothes he has. And then he puts this ring on his son's finger. This, this, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a signet ring, which basically says it gives him, I've got this ring that's like saying, I've got authority here now. I can speak on behalf of of my family. I speak now with the authority of my father. That's the place that this, this happy daddy is when he sees his son coming back. And then his father orders the, the, the fatted calf, the special calf who had been kept on a nice diet to make it really tasty for a barbecue. He says, let's, 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 let's do it. Let's kill that one now and, and uh, let's have a big party because look what's going look what's happened. Our son's back. Now, I'm going to go on a rabbit trail for a minute and I want to... Um, point something out to you because you probably would agree now by now that this son um, had a stubborn streak in him. He was rebellious. He definitely was wasteful. He probably was, you know, having trouble. I mean, wine, wine, women and song, all that stuff. He's blowing it like that, right? That's the son we're talking about here, right? You agree? Okay. Okay. Deuteronomy 21 talks about this circumstance. And when Jesus is telling this parable, you can be sure that Jesus knows this scripture because Deuteronomy tells you what you do if your child is like this son, and you don't have to turn to it, you can. I'll just read it to you. It's Deuteronomy twenty-one nineteen. His parents are to take him before the leaders of the town where he lives and make him stand trial. They're to say to them, our son is stubborn and rebellious and refuses to obey us. He wastes money and is a drunkard. Then the men of the city are to stone him to death, and so you get rid of this evil. That's what the scripture said was the remedy for what this son did. What an amazing point of this parable, though, this parable is not so much about the son as it is about the father. This parable is about the amazing love of the father when what the son had earned was terrible, but the heart of the father was to go so far the opposite end of the spectrum because he loved this boy so much. And you know, that father's reaction, that father's heart is precisely 
God's reaction and God's heart to you and to me. You know, his reaction to you and me is mercy, not wrath. His reaction to you and to me is blessing, not punishment and penalty. Anyway, so we hear this, this parable. The boy comes back, dad has a big party, and we think, man, what a great story of grace. And it is. It's a wonderful picture of grace. But there's a character there that we don't really spend a lot of time on, and that's the older brother. This is the guy who didn't ask for his share rudely. This is the guy who stayed home and did his job and did what he was supposed to do. This is the guy that, that did the right things, and he, and he looks up one day and sees this, you know, his, his jacked up brother coming home, getting all this special treatment after being adult. <laughs> and he's angry. He's angry at that. And scripture says they go into the house. And so in Luke 15, 28, he's, scripture says this, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. I'm going to push this down. I'm not going to express it. I'm not going to go deal with this. This is just, mm. and you may feel in those moments like you're in control and that you're demonstrating self-control by suppressing those emotions. But two things will happen if you don't deal with it. One is it's going to mess you up on the inside. It just will. It just will mess you up. And then when it comes out, which will happen later, in some fashion it will come out, it's going to hurt people. At first, it hurts you, and then it hurts other people. And it's dangerous how anger can affect us. So the things I've been praying about you know, for today is that the Lord by his Holy Spirit is going to help us become people who give peace away rather than people who distribute rage. Peace givers, not rage bringers. So what do we do with our anger? There are 15 times, at least in the scripture, in the Bible, that anger is described and, you, and, 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 the, and the word uses the metaphor of fire. You know, or an analogy of fire. You know, anger and fire. They're, they're, they're very, very similar in a lot of ways, which is, I'm sure, why God used that analogy. The interesting thing, though, is that I, th- I think fire is kind of like a paradox. It's like, you know, if you live in a place like, you know, northern Alaska, fire is life to you. You know, fire is what will keep your home warm. It will boil water for you. It will cook your food. It will keep you alive. And there are a lot of places um, where it's still an absolute requirement. On the other hand, that same fire can burn your house down and everything you own around your ears. The same fire. It's, it's, it's the same time productive and necessary, and at the same time, it's destructive. It's, it's, and anger is just, just the same as that fire. So how do we deal with anger? Well, if I wanna, first, I want to talk about, I guess, sinful anger. What do we do with sinful anger? Um, one, since sinful anger is a fire, you have to learn to put it out. You have to find a way to dilute that emotion. You have to find a way to become a person of self-control. Proverbs 17, 14 says, starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. Now think about the pressure behind a dam. Stand in front of it and poke a hole in there. I mean, think about that. That's how, so the word says, so drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. And I want to just for a minute challenge there's an argument of the flesh that you know, we will toss out there sometimes. And, and here's, I just want to confront it and say, you are not just the way you are. That's just not true. Um, I, mean, I mean, sometimes we just chalk it up and say, well, this is the way God made me. And, and I want to say, no, no, he really didn't. He didn't make you that way. And, you know, I mean, here's, here's kind of a demonstration of, in part why I feel that way. You know, I mean... I've done this before where I'll be in the heat of an angry discussion. You know, 
phone will ring. I can answer the phone, and all of a sudden, I have a completely different personality that answers. Oh, hi, yeah, yeah, I'll be there at church, and I'll see you then, and we can talk about it. That'll be great. Hey, praise God. See you then. Click. And there's a microsecond between the click. It's as if that those three minutes never actually occurred, and you are in the same syllable you were ending with when the phone rang. It's a learned behavior. You can control it. You really, really can. It's a learned behavior. So if you have the ability to control it, you know, how does that play out? You know, you're driving along. This is one of my areas, plumbing and driving. I mean, I, I have less toleration than I should. And um, somebody cuts you off. And, you know, this morning I'm on the road and a guy in a motorcycle got right in front of me and slowed down, no kidding, to half the speed limit. And I always think the speed limit is the speed limit plus some percentage. I'm not sure what the correct, correct number is. <laughs> I'm such a sinful pastor. I'm sorry. I'm not really sorry. I like to go fast. Anyway, so, um, <laughs> um, so this guy in this motorcycle gets right in front of me, and he's going literally half of the posted limit. And I, I, I'm, I know I'm going to be preaching on anger today. It's the funny thing. And... <laughs> I'm, I'm in my car, and, and my only response is, really? You know, I'm doing one of these things, and I'm angry at this guy, and I don't know what, and I figured he was hiding from the cops or something. I don't know what he was doing. But somebody cuts you off, and before you flip out and tell them they're number one, right? Before you do that, the people who laugh know exactly what I'm talking about. Before you do that, you know, Give yourself a moment. And what if you were to ask yourself the question, what is going on in their life? What, you know, maybe there's something really, really important going on, or maybe there's something heartbreaking that's going on. And here's the one that the Lord always gets to me. This, this is my trigger. You know, if the person offending me on the road is female, this is where the Lord always triggers me. He says, hey, 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 that's somebody's daughter. I melt at that point. There is something in me, I I don't know how it got there, trained by my parents and the Holy Spirit with a hammer. But that is, you you watch over your daughter. You protect your daughter. Doesn't matter whether she's right or wrong, you protect your daughter. I mean, right? I mean, you do that. I love my daughters, and I have more than one. I don't know where she probably left because I was giving her a hard time before. She she leave the church? In the county? Okay. I mean, she quit the church? Okay. So um, there's just something in me. And, and, and when the Lord will say that, you know, that is somebody's daughter. I'm repentful. I mean, I start repenting and saying, you're right. Because I'm thinking if my, if my daughter was driving and inadvertently or made some mistake and some guy started getting angry and talking to her, even though he's in a different car, I'd want to talk to that guy. <laughs> I'd want to tell him he's number one or something. I mean, I would. I, I would. I would want to stand up for my daughter because I think it's right and righteous for us to stand up for our daughters. And so the Lord, you know, the Lord has, he knows my triggers and, he, and it makes me think, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, Terry. Treat her like she's your daughter and my attitude changes. <laughs> Don't agree so loudly, okay, honey? I mean, my attitude changes. It's okay, it's really fine. Um, I mean, my attitude changes and I start thinking, what's going on? Give this girl some space. In fact, can you can have my place. 
willingly. Here, let me make your life easier. I really feel that way. It's not sarcastic. When I get the right attitude, my anger becomes something completely positive and different. Or maybe another example is, you know, you work next to somebody and the person you work next to is starting to really drive you nuts because she talk, 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 all day long, talk, 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 won't stop. And you just, your fuse is going, and it's getting close to where it goes, boom. And, and you, you stop and you think for a minute and you think, wait a second. She's a single mom. And probably these are the only conversations she has with adults all day long because the rest of her life is toddlers. And all of a sudden you realize, okay, hold up here with the anger. And instead you do something with your anger that's better. I mean, I think sometimes we just learn to maybe give human beings the benefit of the doubt and consider, you know, there are probably things going on in their world that, that if I knew about them, they could cause me to want to bring peace into their life instead of um, what else. And when I do that, not only does peace come into their life, but it comes into mine. By the way, that's who the Lord made us to be. James 1.19 says um, this, everyone, which by the way, everyone that includes me, right? Everyone. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And now here's a verse that doesn't get discussed much. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. I think sometimes we think that if we're angry, we will so impress the person that is the object of our anger, they'll become changed and we will have made progress positive progress. This scripture says exactly no to that. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. When you and I are slow to get angry, that makes us a little bit more like God. You know, there are, um, you know, seven books, places in the Bible, at least, where it says God is slow to anger. The word, interestingly, there doesn't say he never gets angry. It says he's slow to get there. And when we choose to give people the benefit of the doubt, when we choose to be peace givers, when we we choose to be slow to anger, I think that makes us a little bit more like God. We're picking up some of the characteristics of our loving father that he wants us to grow. We're, We're becoming a little bit more like that prodigal son's daddy. Now, I would love to tell you, you know, today that, you know, this anger has never been an issue for me. And obviously it has. I've told you some stuff. I mean, I've had to deal with my own anger and I've had to choose to to grow and and to not be self-centered. And frankly, and with all tenderness, I I will say to you, I, I do not have a story to tell you that I grew up with an angry father or an angry mother who abused me. I, I don't have that story because it's not true in my household. I was raised in a loving environment. I didn't have that. And I, I am sensitive to people. I deal with people and I help minister to people who live in those realities. It's, it's a real problem. But even if I did have that as my background, that is a story of someone else's failure to deal with their anger righteously. It's not a justification for me failing to deal with my own anger righteously. So I'm dealing with these potato skins and the drain is leaking and the break, you know, snap and anger happens and I look up and I'm all alone and I call out for my incredible loving wife who's out of sight but 
within reach if I need her. Honey, where's everybody? And she says, um, you know, the kids kind of scatter when you get like this. And it broke my heart. She says, I just think you might want to know that happens. You know, that's me sticking a knife in my... I mean, there's a scripture that says, you know, Proverbs 27, I think it's, it's in the first 10, somewhere early in Proverbs 20, it says that faithful are the wounds of a friend. And my best friend wounded me lovingly and said, you probably need to know that your kids scatter when you get like this. And I know you don't want that, but you're driving them away. Man, and I, I don't really care anymore about the leak. I, I, at that point, I didn't care if I had to hire a plumber and pay him $500 an hour. Any plumbers here want a job? You know, <laughs> at that rate, yeah, and you're all going to take training now, I suppose. Because I break stuff and I'll be needing you. Um, but I'm thinking to myself, I am not going to be that guy. I still want to be that guy. So I remember this decision and this conversation and I decided, okay, I'm going to wait any longer. And I went right straight down and the boys were in their bedroom and, and they're just, you know, being boys. And my, my, boy, my boys are, you know, good. My kids are good, but um, they just didn't want to be around me. And I went in and I sat down and I said, hey, I need to talk to you about what just happened out there. And of course, they don't know if I'm in there to be angry at them or blame them or get in trouble. And I just basically had to say, you know what? That was completely unreasonable the way I behaved. It was unloving, it was uncalled for, and I'm sorry. And I learned to control my emotions, but that's not the right thing. And I owned it with them. I didn't give them excuses. I didn't place blame somewhere else. And you know what they did? Kids are resilient. They rose to the occasion and said, Dad, we forgive you. And they said the right, they knew the right things to say, but it was genuine and they, and they meant it. And they forgave me and they loved me. And parents, it's on us to build an environment where our kids learn that in spite of life's stresses, we're going to somehow maintain control of our emotions. That's, that's on us. So how we deal with sinful, that's, that's one way to deal with sinful anger. But there's another kind of anger that we haven't talked about yet, and, and I would either call it righteous or sanctified anger. And this is where, you know, I think many times, many of us are kind of sitting on the bench when we ought to kind of get into the game. Um, okay, so since sanctified anger is also a form of fire, what you need to do with that one is you need to fan the flame. You need to fan it into a bonfire. And, you know, I think it's, I think it's way too easy. It happens a lot in church and, um, where, and I, I, I do this too, where we'll hear about something and uh, we'll say amen and then go out the doors after church and do nothing about something that we see needs of. And, and our world is falling apart. Mark 3, um, here's an example of that. And Jesus is going into the synagogue on the Sabbath and um, the Pharisees are looking to catch him in a legal failure and so that they can, you know, attack him and blame him uh, doing something. And in this case, they're looking for working on the Sabbath. Now, this story may have more relevance if you're my age than if you're 20 um, about working on the Sabbath because it's only been one generation in this country. One generation ago, stores weren't even open on Sundays. They weren't even open. The idea of working on the Sabbath was 
just, it wasn't even a consideration. Stores weren't open. You don't go shopping. I mean, I remember being in a church one Sunday a long time ago, and the preacher stands up and he says, there was a, there was a store at South Sound Mall. I think it was called People's. And then there was this big, was, it, was there a People's store or something? Yeah, I'm old enough to remember People's. Um, and he's, he was making this commentary because People's is going to be open on Sundays. And it was really bothering him, and I get it now. But So here's the deal. They're going to catch Jesus violating the law that says you don't work on the Sabbath. And um, starting in verse 5, this is Mark 3, verse 5. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, okay, now, so this is the son of God who did not sin. So here's an example of anger that's not a sin. And he looks at these Pharisees and he's pretty ticked off. He's angry and um, it's righteous anger. And, and he looks at this guy who needs to be healed. He's angry and distressed. And his anger propels him to do something. It, it just, he's got to do something. I've got anger. I'm going to do something with this anger. And he looks at the man. And he says, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Now, when some injustice that you see because the Lord is pointing it out to you, that's going on around you, begins to ignite something in your soul, that's a righteous anger. It is. And you can quench it, or you can fan it. And when you fan that righteous anger into a bonfire, it doesn't mean you're going to start becoming destructive and throwing fireballs. It doesn't mean that. It means that you do what Jesus did, and that is that we do good things. I mean, I mean, I think for different people, we are going to see different things that will, 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 will light a righteous anger in us. Um, and I'll give you some examples, and I'm, I'm, gonna, I, I, I'm intentionally giving disparate examples so that you don't go, yeah, that's me, that's me. I mean, you may say, no, that's not me, but this one maybe. So I'm just, just, these are just examples. Here's, here's this, I, I looked this one up, did a little study about our state. Um, right now, there are roughly 10,000 kids in the state's foster program. 10,000 kids in this state alone. Um, For the last school year, not the current school year, the superintendent of public instruction reported to the federal government that we have 30,000 homeless students in our state. Okay, 10,000 are in foster care somewhere and another 30,000 are homeless. These are children. Children. I guess they could be up to 18, but I mean, I know of one high school boy who's couch surfing. This is a boy I know. He's couch surfing right now. I mean, moves from house to house to house. Doesn't live at home. His father's in jail waiting for trial for having beat the boy. A wonderful young man. He's a senior in high school. I mean, there is more of that than, you're, than, than you have any idea. And you look at that, and for some of you, it's really not Okay. You look at that, and, and you're just not okay with that, and you think about those kids, and there's no bedtime stories, and there's no kissing on the forehead, and, and some of you have this Popeye moment, okay? Here's the Popeye. I've talked about Popeye moment before. You remember Popeye, the sailor man? He would, it was a kind of a boring cartoon, because it seems like it was the same every time. He has this girlfriend um, named Olive Oil, and I don't know why she's named Olive Oil, but she wasn't that hot of a chick, but Popeye liked her. And there was this bad guy named Brutus, 
And Brutus was always hitting on olive oil, trying to steal her away from Popeye. And you know, you can't do that. And, and Popeye would watch this and it would get worse and worse and worse. And then he would say, and this happened to almost every Popeye cartoon, he'd say, that's all I can stand and I can't stand no more. Remember that? That was a very, very good imitation. If you didn't get that. And you'd hear this, doot, doot. And the pop, the, the, <laughs> the spinach can would open it and the spinach would go up in the air and come down through his pipe. That I don't get either. But then the strength of the spinach would fill him up and his arms would blow up into tree trunks. And I think there was an anchor on there or something, right? And, you know, that's all I can stand and I can't stand no more. And he would do something about it. And some of you need to have a Popeye moment. And I use foster care as an example. Um, and, and you need to hear me on this. You should get, in, get involved in this only if you have a call from the Lord to do it. I'm not trying to recruit foster parents here, but I'm using that as an example. You know, And it made you so angry, and the Lord is telling you, and, and some of you maybe have heard that, and those numbers have stirred you, and maybe the Lord has called you, and you're not really responding to the Lord. Um, okay, it can happen. I mean, some of you, you just got to get up and do something. Maybe, 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 here's another example. Maybe you got to a point at some point in your life where you thought, okay, I do not want to live in debt anymore. I'm going to get this straightened out. I'm tired of being in bondage to people that I owe money to. And you buckled down and you got your finances squared away and you're out of debt and you're fine. And, and the Lord has been saying to you, hey, you know what? You sit in church, there's people to your right and your left who really could, have, could be helped if you could help them with their budget. And... You know, you let your righteous anger propel you to do something good. Last week, I had a guy come up to me after church, and he did this. I didn't know I was preaching this, but he's partly why we have this example. He came to me and he said, hey, I want you to know I have a background. Um, I, I'm an alcoholic, and I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm well-connected in AA, and I, I want to help people who have a problem with alcohol and who have, who have a problem with drug addiction. And, I mean, that's righteous anger. It doesn't look like anger, but it's, it's something that the Lord's propelling because he just doesn't want people to have that, the, the damage in his life that he can remember. And it's righteous anger. And maybe it's time for some of you, you, you look maybe, you know, here's another one that kind of gets to me sometimes. We, we live as Christians with the hope of the world and that sometimes though our, we have marriages around us that are falling apart. We for whatever reason, we can't get past our selfishness or let go of wounds from the past. And, and maybe it's time for you to get angry. Not at your spouse, by the way. Your spouse is not your enemy. But you do have an enemy who wants to destroy your marriage and blow it up and burn it down if he could. And maybe you're not okay with that. So fan that flame of righteous anger and dig down and say, this is not going to happen. Not this family. We're going to make it through. I love that kind of anger. I think it's really good. And I don't know what righteous anger is right for you. It's your challenge maybe to hear the Lord and to figure it out and for it to drive you to do something good. The very best news about this, and I'm going to pray in just a moment and we're done is that even though you and I deserve God's anger because we've all sinned, we've all failed him, in many ways every one of us is that prodigal. He doesn't give us rage. He gives us Jesus. He doesn't give us stoning at the city gates. Instead, he comes to us with a robe and a signet and restoration 
that's what's on offer. He doesn't give us hell. He literally gives us heaven and a hope and a future if we come to him. That's all it takes. You just have to say, yes, God. And the word says, all who call in the name of Jesus will be saved. I just want to make this appeal and pray with you right now. If you want to come to him today, I want you to let me pray for you and for your salvation. Let's close our eyes.